Now then, and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where each week two or three friends approaching midlife analyse a film they've never seen before. We're watching a film from each year since the year we were born. We started in 1983 and now we're up to 2007. And it's a special episode. It's the 25th episode. So we've got a guest. And our guest tonight has lived in the great cities of Europe. He's lived in Vienna, Budapest, Dublin and Nottingham. (laughs) He's a self-proclaimed film maniac who came to Liverpool John Moores University with a weighty tome, The Video Hound, under his arm. The DVD box set of Pedro Almoladovar the Three Colours Trilogy and the Apocalypse Now Deluxe Edition. <laughs> Such is his devotion to cinema that tonight's guest big raised his head to look like the antagonist from the 2004 horror flick Creep. Um, but I've known Dr. Edward Haig Beamer since 2003. Then aged 20, five years before he took up smoking, 15 years before I was best man at his wedding, and 20 years before he appeared on the Midlife Film Catch-Up podcast. Welcome, Ed Beamer. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It's an honour to come on. How did you feel about that uh, introduction? Yeah, it brought back some memories. Um, I think, oh, well, obviously, I remember the video hound. <clears throat> tell, tell us about the video hound. So the video hound um, catalogued... Um, every single film ever made probably um up until i don't know when like 2001 or something so, so it was and it had kind of different options to different options to search you could search by film which were alphabetical it had a bit of information uh, or you can search by director or search by actor and um you can find the films that way so it was really good for um kind of um spontaneous quizzes film quizzes and was there uh, was there some sort of uh, rating system maybe <laughs> um films were rated by um giving up to four bones so you have was, um from was it bones it, was it, it four was it four bones? Was that the maximum? Oh, yeah, because I think there was uh, the lowest was zero. You could have zero bones. Okay. So it was basically a one to a classic one to five scale, but it was um, zero to four, and I think it was um, I think it was bones, or it could have been maybe it was like paws or something. But I think I'm pretty no, sure it was bones. It was definitely you know? bones. And they um, they broke it down into half bones as well, so you could it was basically a ten point scale. But um, so in, it was kind of like. Bones. Dog themed proto IMDb. Yeah, or like Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. It was really like a pioneer of the um, of that kind of film rating and cataloging. So, I would say, I mean, we'll talk more about our lives in two thousand and seven later. But um, I'd say at that point in your life, you were, you were quite the the film aficionado. Well, um, I was fresh off the back of a um, failed um, stint at the University of Derby studying um, film studies, where I turned up about three times over the course of a year and then uh, dropped out. Um, so I did have that um, 
sort of background and being interested in in film i suppose um so the the french the the world cinema that you came to liverpool with that was because <laughs> of your um because of your first <laughs> because of your first uh, degree choice um i guess so yeah i can't i can't even remember i had a few vhs's right uh, I think they're all D- DVDs from what v- I remember was, by the um, sound. It was VHSs. It was in the wow. VHS. Well, it was on. It was probably in the DVD era, but um, these were kind of a hangover from the VHS VHS days. What are you looking at your screen for there? Um, well, I was just closing WhatsApp because I didn't want the sound to um, interrupt the podcast. That's very, very professional. Thank you. Okay, well, let's, let's, um, so I should say as well that we will be joined by my, uh, regular co-host, Chris Jenkins. Um, he's, um, too busy to watch a two and a half hour film this week. Um, such are his preparations for his comedy show a week on Friday. Um, if you're listening to this, you'll be listening to this on Monday, so it's this Friday. Um, but he's going to be joining us for the uh, post post movie chat. Um, but let's get straight straight on to our film for this week, which is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, directed by Dominic Christopher. What's he called? It was Dominic was is one of the names. Yeah, which isn't. I don't um, know. Good start. Do- Andrew Dominic, of course. Andrew Dominic, oh, okay. Um, so <laughs> let's start off with a little bit of context to this film. Uh, so Andrew Dominic director of Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe um, biopic. He directed Chopper, a favourite no, of mine. Really. You like that it's one? very different, very different film. Is that, the, Ch- is that the one about the Australian sort of um, criminal who kind of light-hearted look at uh, serial killer? Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. Er- Eric, um, what's what's it? so the the Mark Chopper Reed played by Eric mm-hmm. Banner. Yeah, it was a big favorite of mine back in the back in the day. Yeah. Um, but this film, as the title suggests, is the uh, story of the lead up to the death of notorious American outlaw Jesse James. Does that does that capture the uh, capture the story? Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, a portrait of um, nice a early celebrity, and um, his yeah, what was going on, and then him getting killed. Uh, a a char- character portrait of <laughs> um, Jesse James and Robert Ford. Yeah. How how do you feel about? Outlaws and bandits. Um, in real life, uh, I guess I'm quite firmly against them. 
don't really like um, bandits that much. But um, yeah, so I guess I guess they're more um, interesting on film. But what about historic bandits? I'm talking your Dick Turpins, your um, Ned Kellys. Um, I'm not a massive fan, to be honest. No. What do you think? You mean, do I like the stories about them, or do well, I like pe- the, um... people such as Robert Ford out and out loved these characters, didn't they, at the time and to this day? Like, to yeah. a lot of people, uh, Ned Kelly is an Australian hero. Yeah, despite and I guess the same as Jesse James. Mm-hmm. But then it's like a um, very kind of um, sanitized version of them, where they're actually doing some pretty. Um, Bad things. Would you say this film is a sanitized depiction of Jesse James? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. Um, Conan, g- g- give us your uh, quick thoughts on this film. Um, so I've got I've written down some pros and cons. Okay, well you're coming at it from a from a different so, angle. You're bringing a, a real different energy to the podcast, actually. <laughs> so pros, I think it was objectively. Um, very well scripted and shot and really good acting. Um, Negs, I've just got Borefest. <laughs> um, um, right, okay. I just, I just, it's it's too long and, and, and I found it quite boring, but I think that um, I thought it was, you know, I think maybe I just don't like westerns, but I think like objectively it was it was good. Like the script was good. I really liked the sort of narrator. Um, I thought the acting was 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 good. I thought like the Robert Ford character was quite interesting portrayal, but um, I didn't feel like I didn't I didn't care about any of the characters or and it was you know you know what's going to happen. It's in the title. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. which obviously you're supposed to know what's going to happen, but I just found myself thinking, like, when's he going to actually? How long's left? When's he going to kill him? D- did you watch it all in uh, one sitting? Two, sittings. two, two sittings. Yeah, I watched it in two sittings. I, I don't think I got bored. I don't think I got bored of it. Like, um, really, a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Gatons, he he uh, he described it in similar terms. Said it was boring. Um, or Said it was boring, but you know, it, Kevin likes um, action films, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I do like um, char- character portraits. Is that the right word? Character character yeah, portraits. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that maybe I just have a have a problem with westerns because I didn't really like um, No Country for Old Men, which everyone says is like um, the best thing since sliced bread. Well, interesting you should say that because we watched a film two episodes ago that I know for a fact that you watched at the time of its release. Um, yeah. and I don't think you've listened to the podcast episode. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Is it about, the th- is it the guy with um, um, the sort of, uh, <coughs> the gun thing, like a gas thing with a gun thing, like a sort of cattle killing thing? That is, that is No Controlled Men, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm getting confused. There's the one with I think I'm, t- I'm talking about. Yeah, I didn't like No Country for Old Men that much, but also the one with the oil. With um, uh, there Benjamin. will be blood. There will be blood. Yeah. 
What about this one? The three burials of Melchiadas Estrada. Uh, I don't know if I've seen can, that one. You, you, I'm sure you, you that... went to see it at the cinema at the time. Um, Tommy Lee Jones directed and starred in it. And his, his friend Melchiadas gets shot by a, a border cop. Can I just um, Google it so I can see? Um, I might bring. Um, the, the, I the guess name so. It's, about... it's not great. It's not great podcast uh, material. Oh, but well, I, I, mean, I, I guess you can. The, the, um, um, well, I think. Uh, let me give me. Let me give you my thoughts on the westerns. Yeah. Long time detractor. Yeah. N- now the the more I watch, the more I want to watch. All right. The same as when I uh, visit the city of Manchester. The more I visit <laughs> Manchester, the more I want to visit Manchester. But the Wild West of um, real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have seen that film, by the way, The Three Burials, I remember. Yeah, I think that um, I I find the sort of um, the, the history quite interesting. Mm. And I kind of like to... Um, understand it more and like um see it portrayed on film more you know with stuff with like jesse james and like the end of the civil war and and the um the slavery and Mm -hmm. how it's all tangled up and 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 um i'm sort of watching it and i'm like i want some of that um historical context and it just gives you like a little flavors of it and i feel like a bit frustrated that i think i probably want to watch a um like historical drama about that period with the same characters rather than a Western where it's really focused on his character, character portraits that you say that mm-hmm. I'm like, um, I don't find them that interesting character, really interesting characters. I don't think like it's all about sort of, um, the psychology of the, the individual, um, sort of, um, Daring and and being like competent at violence and um, kind of um, harden hardening yourself and, and stuff like that. And I'm kind of I know with this one, it's with this film. There's it's got, it's showing the kind of vulnerable side of of Jesse James and stuff, where he beats up that guy and then he's has a bit of a whimpering scene afterwards and stuff. But I think that's just it kind of just highlights what it's about really, because that's that's sort of like um, kind of breaking the um breaking the sort of rules of the genre or whatever to show that vulnerability but then that kind of just shows what the rules are if you know what i mean yeah it's uh the exception that proves the rule hard men doing hard things but i, I mean i got a bit of a hard disagree here ed because I, I don't think i i know I, I do agree with you but i think that the film is more much more about uh, Robert Ford and it's about Jesse James. Jesse James is like the context, and this is about the yeah. trying to sort of figure out the the um, character of Robert Ford. A- apparently, the original cut was four hours, <laughs> so I assume there was lots more on the other side of him um, murdering Jesse James because I think that would be quite interesting. You know yeah. the bit where he, he does a show with his brother about the, the a dramatization. Oh, kind of yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that'll be really. I think that will be really interesting. So I, I'd like to see the four hour, bring on the four hour version. That's what I say. I'd like to see the um, studio cut where they said um, maybe we could fit this in eighty minutes. 
watch that version. I I, um, I enjoy a, a slow burn epic, I think. But maybe yeah. that's the difference between someone with kids and someone sans kids. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a kids thing. I think that like I I, I like um I don't I don't I don't think it's the necessarily the length, it's just the combination of the length and and, and finding it a little bit a little bit um a little bit boring that makes you feel like it's really long. Like if it's if it's if I'm enjoying it then I, I want it to last longer. Mm-hmm. But um you know, I I feel like it's sort of um my experience of it was sort of wanting it to wanting to get to the end of it so it's so I finished it, but I, I did kind of recognise that there's a, that it's not like a bad film. It's kind of objectively, like the script's good, the acting's good, the cinematography's really nice. Mm-hmm. So like, um, but I just found it like a bit <clears throat> kind of grey and like um, dour. I don't know. I I, I think um, I. <laughs> What did you think? I don't. I don't know if I really believed. Um, uh, what's he called? Brad. Brad Pitt as mm. um, sinister. I don't think he's a. He's not. He's not really that sinister, is he? I think that was a little bit weak. But I really. I thought. Like it. It pains me to say it, but I thought uh, Casey Affleck was absolutely brilliant. No, I thought he was great. I thought that. Um, I guess that's what one thing that I didn't like about the script. I guess was that. They're trying to have the cake and eat it a little bit with um, Jesse James, that they're showing like, um, I guess that they, they want want it to be sort of like a warts and all portrayal, and also showing his vulnerabilities and stuff. But they don't really, and they and they show sort of like him doing brutal things, and then kind of um, how he feels about, you know, there's the kind of like um, how it how it's affecting him psychologically. But they don't really show. Um, um, like him really being like um, a dislikable character. I mean, he beats he beats someone up, and he's like mean to people verbally. But like, they're kind of um, I feel like they're sort of um, they could have they could have shown him being much more sinister if they wanted to show the kind of warts and all version. They could have shown him being like um, doing like much worse stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of apologising for him almost because they're sort of holding him up as a there is you're right about it being like a <clears throat> proto celebrity because they talk about his fame and how he's famous than most presidents or something do they say it one bit yeah um, and the guys like Robert Ford is a kind of like um, what do we call it like um, who's the guy who shot John Lennon um, Mark Chapman Mark, yeah like um, he's kind of a little bit of Mark Chapman, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking this. Uh, getting confused with Lee Chapman. There. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a little bit of that where it, he's got this sort of obsession, and um, he's sort of killing the person he's obsessed with, like a yeah. sort of like classic kind of um, psychological thriller type thing. So he's kind of wants to, you know, he has, he's got the, the, these feelings of rejection and stuff, and that kind of feeds into his motivation to kill him. And um, I think it's also quite um, uh, one thing that I found quite interesting about um, that character was you're never quite sure whether he's like 
um, this guy that they're all kind of underrating, who's a sort of um, competent, competently violent, dangerous person, or whether he's just this like um, idiot who idiot fantasist, and you never really yeah. find that out. Yeah, definitely. Well, did, have you seen the film um, The Banshees of Inishirin? Yeah. The Robert Robert Ford really reminded me of the, um, the like daft lad from that. Which you mean um, the one the uh, um, the main character? N- no, no, not Colin Farrell. Um, the little the little guy. Who, I don't want to spoil it, but um, the little the little guy. You know, the little guy um, drinks a lot. His dad um, diddles him. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. It reminded me a There's lot a of him. There's a down by the lake or something with him, right? Yeah, but yeah. that's not a spoiler. I'm not a spoiler. I mean, that's not a spoiler. There's a scene at the lake. Right, okay. Um, yeah, especially at first. I think I think he becomes like less and less daft as, as as we go into it. And then obviously at the end, he's doing his stage show and he's, uh, mm. he's obviously a conniving. I've, I've always, it's always um, intrigued me, this film, though, just because of the title. But that's the title of the novel that it's based on, isn't it? There's the 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 title of this film. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Did it intrigue you because it's got um, an excessively long title? Yeah, and it's got a um, it's it, it's got a pejorative term for one of the the coward the, Robert Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess there's like that. Um, there's that question about who's the narrator right who's kind of got like ownership of the story because from that title mm-hmm. it's um jesse james or people who james fans mm-hmm. um whereas the film is kind of like more like the robert ford has the it's more like his story isn't it yeah what he's, the he's film... not really portrayed as a coward he's portrayed as like um He's definitely not portrayed as a coward. Yeah, he's yeah. portrayed as is sort of slight, slightly like a weirdo, and then and you, you don't know whether he's a fantasy. It's like a, maybe a, maybe a fantasist, or maybe a kind of um, psychopath, like a sort of Kaiser Soze type type play, type of character. You don't know whether mm-hmm. he's like um, kind of an idiot who fancies himself as a. a um, Cowboy, was it not not a gangster? What do they, what do they call them? Bandit. Outlaw, bandit, um, or whether he actually is, and he's kind of got this Kaiser Soze type thing where people don't rate him, and and then that makes him more dangerous. Mm-hmm. But he definitely he definitely isn't portrayed as a coward. No, no, isn't is that and that's like a nod to, yeah, it's the, their respective places in history, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Jesse James is a hero, and uh, Robert Ford was assassinated himself by, uh, you know, a, an angry young man who um, wanted to seek revenge on behalf of his hero, Jesse James. I assume. Actually, I think he, I think mm. the guy who shot um, Robert Ford, Ford was embroiled in the the whole gang scene. Was he? Yeah, the bandit, the bandit gang scene. Bandit scene. What did you think about um, the <clears throat> assassination scene? 
where what do you think that um the psychology of Jesse James uh, I think he I... his guns and sort of stands there and makes himself an easy target yeah I think it on? was su- suicide based I think he was um the wars were closing in on him met- metaphorically mm. um in the la- in in you know the half hour before that happens in the film I think every you know all his old mates were either getting killed or getting arrested or mm-hmm. conniving against him. Um, and I think he'd just, he'd reached the end of his, uh, the end of, he'd, he'd ran out of road. You knew that. So Cause it's almost like wanted. the way that he, um, got on the chair is like someone who like hang, hangs themselves, I guess, isn't it? Uh, he stood on a chair to look at the painting, was it? To a dust, dust the picture. Dust the picture of the horse. Um, I didn't notice that, but yeah, it could be right. But I found that quite uh, interesting. Like I didn't really, un- didn't quite grasp like what was um, what was going on there. The psychology of that scene. I think that's it. But I mean, it's in- it's interesting because that's all based on like historical record of Robert Ford's stage mm. show of what he did. So. Yeah. Does that mean that it's accurate, or does it? Difficult to know, isn't it? I'd like to read the. I'd like to read the book. Um, another question for you: What was your thoughts? Re um, Nick Cave just popping up at the end in a kind of weird hat. Well, uh, so the Nick Cave. So he did the him and um, what's his name? His his mate. Um, do write in if you can remember the name of uh, oh, the the guy is also in Nick Cave's band birthday present. Um, uh, it'll come to me. Chris will know. So they did the mu- they did the music to the mm-hmm. film, um, and I think I knew that. And then, and I was thinking all the way through about Ned Kelly, so it just seemed to sort of make sense to me that um, Nick Cave was wandering around the pub singing about Jesse James. And then that director did the two, you know, the two documentaries about Nick Cave. Oh, all right, okay. So he, There's he two was, of them. Yeah, yeah. Arguably um, overkill. Well, no, because one of them was before his son died and the second oh, was right. after. Well, I, I, but it might be more about his album, actually. But it's also about that, obviously. Um, mm. So, yeah, important. Hmm. I thought that was very strange, the uh, Nick Cave thing. It kind of like broke. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the um, what the terminology is, but the kind of the rule, the rules of the the film that they'd set up of of what level of realism, you know, how how in how sort of um, invested you are in the in the the reality of the the film, and then like um, like Nick Cave turns up singing like a sort of jaunty song and then um the characters are like interacting with him and stuff I found that very like, very um jarring i like i like those kind of easter eggs well there's also a legendary uh playwright who um had a part in his film as well of course all right go on oh did you not re- did you not realize um <laughs> really frank james jesse james brother oh right yeah yeah sam sam shepherd Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I didn't notice that. So I was already thinking, you know, my head was already spinning from, from seeing Sam Shepard. 
I don't know. Is he a playwright or did he just write a lot of films? Don't know. Um, um, what about... You go on, you, you got more stuff on your little post-it notes. Go on. Yeah, so I've got something to bring up that's maybe nitpicking. But um, at the beginning, they say they're talking about Jesse James and like Blinking. describing him and stuff. Yeah, how do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they said that he's got like this um, granulated eyelids. And I, I, I did a bit of research on Jesse James uh, after the, the film. And this is true that he's got this condition called uh, blepharitis, which is like granulated eyelids and it makes you blink all the time. But they say that at the beginning that he blinks all the time. And then that was the last time he didn't blink the whole film. Yeah. He blinked like much that. less than average. Yeah, and you'd think that would be a good, you know, even if they didn't say it, it'd be quite a good thing to kind of um, make him more sinister. Like, what's, yeah. what's, more, what's more sinister than someone who blinks a lot? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, go on, I think name, maybe... name something that's more, Some... more sinister <laughs> than someone who blinks a lot. Um, slow blinking? Yes, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. But you've got quite a lot of friends who sort of slow blink, haven't you? <laughs> you slow blink. You slow blink. Like, like talk, they talk and then they close their eyes like that and then they carry on talking. Yeah, but that's not really a slow blink. That's like, um, I think that's like a, um, like a provocation that you kind of like closing your eyes really close to someone's face, and it's sort of like goading them into punching you. I think that's what that's about. Saying, I think so because you people do it when they're saying something really annoying, don't they? And it's like saying it's like telling them that you don't that they won't you you like it's telling you that you won't dare to um it it kind of reeks of um self satisfaction I think when people do that yeah 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 exactly yeah mm. but is that uh, that's more us projecting self satisfaction to the people who do the close it close the eyes thing um do you think so I think it's um I think it's a gesture that um, it's sort of um, you're demonstrating that um, you're untouchable by um, putting yourself in like um, a vulnerable position very close to someone's face that you're sort of demonstrating to them that they can't like um, touch you. I mean, I, I like question whether... Psychologically, not like, I don't think people are like um, really choosing to do that, but I think that's what it's... Um, that's the roots of it, I reckon. But I don't think when people necessarily put their faces ne- close to other people's faces when when they do it. I think people often, <laughs> I think people often like lean back and do it. Close, they'll say something, they'll sort of think, they'll lean back, and then they'll close their eyes and say, and it's really a character portrait of uh, Robert Ford, of course. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe my theories. Um... Stupid, but what is it then? Um, I think it's just. Um, I I think it's sometimes difficult to gather your thoughts when you're looking someone in the eye in the face. So rather than look away, you close you close your eyes. But why does it seem so arrogant then? I don't. Um, it's like really provoking if someone does that to you, right? If they're speaking to you and then do that kind of close, it's like kind of patronising or. I, I mean, it'd be, I, I don't know, yeah, I, I feel like that a little bit, but I feel like I'm sort of, 
I don't think it's fair really to judge people for it. Yeah, true. But I think um, we're getting away a little bit from the bleph- blepharitis, which I don't know why they either didn't leave it out or put it in and then have him blink. It seems very strange to like highlight it at the beginning and then just not follow through. Well, it and the mentions... only thing I can think is that Brad Pitt said, "I'm not. I'm doing him. I'm playing him like um, non-blinking, and uh, otherwise I'm out." Probably, yeah. I think uh, Brad Pitt had well, it had a lot of sway in his film, but he was very. Uh, do you know? But this is a, Brad Pitt's favorite one of the films that he's uh, acted in. Really? Yeah. It's not as good as Seven, though, is it? Let's um, let's close this and go into a new better than Seven, not as good as um, Fight Club, and not as good as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I preferred Seven to Fight Club. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, I really like that as well. Uh, wasn't as big a fan of Fight Club, but I think I prefer all of those films to this film. But I can't remember what else Brad Pitt's in. Uh, I just thought of one. Um, Ben after reading. Underrated. Uh, didn't like that that much. Although I, I had the um. <clears throat> advantage of being um, quite short right yeah but it felt short anyway it was quite kind of like light hearted and, and a bit of a romp why do you think that um, Pitt likes this one so much um, I don't know do you, when do you when did you where did you read that or where did you hear that was it part of the um, was it part of the promotion for this film was it like it came up the, weirdly yeah. when I um, started watching it on Amazon Prime Rental. For some yeah. reason, a little bit of trivia came up, and it was that was the trivia. And then I saw it as well on the IMBD page, IMDb page. Interesting, because I don't think like he was good in it, reasonably good, but I don't think he was. Um, he wasn't the most interesting character in it, and no. He, I, I didn't. I don't think his character was massively interesting, to be honest. Brad um, also went round to Sam Rockwell's New York house to convince him he to was be good in the film. It. Yeah, he was good at that. When? When is? It, answer me this. When is Sam Rockwell not good? Never is the answer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's he tends to be sort of like second or third character in the film isn't he? he's not he's rarely got the um that extra uh, pressure of having to carry the film on his own back like brad so what's all that about is that a conscious choice or is that just how how fate has dealt his hand as someone who owned the video hound what's your what's your take on that i think it's a bit of um bit of both probably that he's probably gets those kind of character roles so, you know, third or fourth most important character in better films, or he probably gets offered leads in like um, films that uh, doesn't want to be in. Uh, apart from one of the best films, definitely the best Alex. film uh, directed by a nepo a nepo baby. <laughs> uh, Moon. You seen Moon? I've not seen it. So Moon. It's a Sofia Coppola. 
No, it's um, David Duncan Jones, the son of David Bowie. No, really? Really good film, yeah. yeah. And he's the main guy in it? He's the main guy. I get mixed up a little bit with uh, Rick, Rick Moranis. He looks a little bit like Rick Moranis, I think. He, he does, but there's probably about 10 years like separating their careers. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the sort of, um, uh, you know, picked up the baton. Yeah, our, our generation is... Re- he's, he's, he's like, plays less wacky roles. Less wacky I mean, roles. He's, he's almost like Rick Moranis in absolutely no, no way whatsoever, I'd, I'd say. So it's got well, quite a. It's got like myself. He's got quite a pronounced um, top mouth. Ma- top mouth. Top mouth. Yeah, <laughs> you know the bit between yeah. your mouth and your nose. It's got quite. Yeah. A, it's quite a lot of um, acreage there. Simian. P- possibly simian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's what he. Maybe he just looks a little bit like Rick Moranis. Yeah. What yeah. Rick Moranis uh, retired from acting to just pursue his love of banjo playing. Did he? Mm-hmm. How's his banjo career going? Is he is he still with us, Rick? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he's um, yeah, you know, he's king of the ba- banjo circuit, as far as I know. He's probably the most famous um, banjo banjoist. Isn't he, um, Steve Martin? Is he? Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, he's a right. he's a big banjo banjo guy. So it's quite a lot of the same kind of eighties comic actor crowd moving towards retirement in banjos. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people would take exception to saying that Martin was on the same level as Moranis, though. In in which, um, well, Steve Martin's or... Steve Martin's a legend of comedy, isn't he? Uh, Rick Moranis did Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, but Rick Moranis is more. No, I guess I guess I guess uh, Steve Martin was also uh, an actor, wasn't he? But I guess Rick Moranis was more just a comic actor, and Steve Martin was more the comic actor slash comedian. A comedian who did acting. Yeah. Well, I yeah. don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not. That's not true. I don't really know about. Um... <coughs> yeah, Steve. Steve <coughs> Martin's got a, a seminal autobiography called uh, "Born Stand." I think it's called "Born Standing Up," which is all about the craft of stand-up comedy, and it's it's the bible for any uh, stand-up comedian. Oh, okay. Um, like I mixed up with the other the other one. Who's the other one that's like? A little bit like him. What part white, of the uh, frat, flat white pack? hair? It's got completely pa- white hair. There's two of them yeah. that have completely white hair that like comic actors. One's in yeah. um, Naked Gun. Oh, Leslie Nielsen. Steve, Leslie Nielsen, yeah. Even though okay, they're not really yeah. similar, but I think it's just the, the hair. It's funny you should mention Leslie Nielsen because uh, we had a problem with our external door um, tonight and um, 
I said to Claire, you know, you know the joke, don't you? Um, who are you and how did you get in here? I'm a locksmith and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> that was uh, Nielsen, yeah, Naked Gun. Chris Jenkins. Hello. All right. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I'm good. Where have, where have you guys got up to? Um, so we just got up to Rick Moranis. We was talking about Rick Moranis. I'm I'm pretty sure he's not in this film. No, no, he's not. But who do you rate as a better banjo player, Rick, um, Rick Moranis or Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Do you? Who? I've never I've never seen Rick Moranis play banjo, so I can't rate him. Okay, I hope I haven't just made up this fact, but I'm pretty sure that he retired from acting to become a banjoist. Oof, I'm not sure about. I mean, that that's that needs to be fact checked, doesn't it? Before this yeah. goes out, yeah. yeah. Do do writing. I mean, it's not, we're not going to fact check it. Do do writing. <laughs> nature's fact check. Nature's fact checking. Yeah. Um, but no, I think we're up to um, we're up to 2007 now. Ed, would you have you got any more thoughts on the film that you want to share? Yeah. Ed, Ed is drinking wine. Yeah. Are you drinking, Sam? Uh, I've got a non-alcoholic um, beer. I just want to know what I'm walking into. No, no, it's not a, it's not a repeat of uh, the Nicholas Amann episode. Good, okay. Um, so, yeah, I think we can go straight into a dive headfirst and do a tight 15 on uh, 2007. Wait a sec. Have you set, have you set the scene today? Uh, not really, no. So it's uh, yeah, that's good. So it reverted back to our um, Thursday night slot. Um, it's it's after tea. I've had I've had fruit toast. Okay. In the morning, I had fruit toast for breakfast. I had and then I, and then I waited. I didn't eat a lot until about um, half twelve, and then I had a cheese sandwich on um, wholemeal bread. Uh, with a bit of whole grain mustard, so whole bread, whole grain bread, whole grain mustard, a uh, bit of a theme. And then, what time? What time did you wait to do that? I probably had I had one slice of fruit toast about eight a.m. and then about half twelve, I had cheese sandwich and uh, a pink. No, I was going to say pink lady, a Braben. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and, uh, yeah, go on. That that. They're just two normal times to have your breakfast and your your dinner, really. Well, I I thought it was a long wait because normally I'd have a much bigger breakfast than that. So I was, I was surprised that I made it that that far. And then I came home. I went to a a work placement. I came back and then I waited again. And then we had a cashew nut stir fry with uh, baby corn and monge too. What do you think about that? So the the cashew with the had the starring role in the stir fry. I'd say that was that was potentially a meat substitute if you if you if you're into meat stir fries. Um, no. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. I think I just call that a stir fry rather than a cashew stir fry. <laughs> yeah, it was a vegetable stir fry. Yeah, and um, my partner Emma made the sauce. She made it. What, what what do you mean? She created the sauce. Right, what what was in it? 
I don't know. <laughs> from uh, from first principles, or she just got some soy sauce and mixed it with some uh, sriracha or something. What's um, what's uh, what's first principles mean? <laughs> I don't know how you. I don't know how you um, make these. You know, fermenting chilies and stuff, or uh, like what? What's um, how many different things did she have to combine to make the sauce? I saw, I walked in the kitchen and her phone was open. So I think she'd Googled it and there were about five jars and work, right. five five jars or bottles on the worktop. Sounds quite involved. Yeah. So she had, she, 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 she put something together and it was, um, it was delicious. I couldn't tell the difference between that and a packet of stir fry sauce that you would buy in a shop. Brilliant. That's good. That's good. Uh, um, I'll just quickly t- tell you about my tea, and then, then we'll move on to 2007 because it is it, it is noteworthy actually. Go on. Um, so you know the dish meatloaf. Not really. I know the singer. Obviously, I know his, him very well, but I don't really know what the dish is. So meatloaf's a big block of mince, basically, and then it's got a tomato sauce over the top of it. Okay. Right. And then right. you've got. Then you've got meatballs, which traditionally go with a, bo- a bolognese sauce. Okay, you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. What did I do? Got a burger and put uh, put bolognese sauce on a burger. Makes well, perfect what? sense. When you say bolognese sauce, do you mean like um, bolognese with uh, mince in it, or, or you put tomato uh, sauce on? Well, it burger? was actually it was a tomato ricotta and aubergine Tesco finest sauce. What and then you put the bun on top of that? No, there's no bun. There's no bun involved. You see, took the bun out of the equation. Um. So <laughs> was this meatloaf? Was it meatballs or was it a burger? Well, what? Why did you? What, what, <laughs> why did you mention meatloaf? Because to me, it's the exact. Uh, it's exactly in between. It's that equidistant from a. Burger to a there's the, there's the same distance between a burger to a meatloaf than it, there is from a burger to um, meatballs. I mean, they're essentially all the same thing, but a different shape, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, no one's I, done I, this before. No one's done this before. I just want to know. Sauce on the burger. <laughs> yeah, I just want to know what what did you eat? I, I'm confused. Meatloaf, um, meatballs, or burger? So it was a rice and lentil base. Uh, you know, that was a carb. Yeah. And then the burger goes on top. And then it's the uh, tomato sauce goes on top of that. So it was a burger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Turkey, you might call that a kofta. Well, now, you know? now, yeah, now we're taking us in a different direction. Uh, and then you put... I don't think it's breaking the mould to put uh, a tomato sauce on top of your minced food. No one's you, done it before. No one's uh, done it before. Whoa. Are you, how many countries have you travelled to in your not life? A, no one's done it with a burger. People have done it with meatballs and they've not thought twice about it. They've done it with a meatloaf, not thought twice about it. And then there's been like a mental block for people and then <laughs> you've got you you've got the mental block like did you did you make this burger um full disclosure it was a beyond meat burger 
<laughs> what? Uh, it was, so it was it's, it's a vegan burger, yeah, Beyond Meat. <coughs> it was Beyond Meat. Mm-hmm. That's the, like a brand of vegan meat. So it's like it, it's like gone beyond. Um, and you had that. I mean, it, I, I'd say if you haven't put if it's sold as a burger and you haven't put it in a bun, you've put it on some quinoa or whatever you said, then there's like there's nothing weird about putting a sauce on it. That's not it's not it's not outlandish. It's not you're not you're not James Dean. You're not you know. Have you ever done that before, Ed? Ed? Have you ever done that before? Um, that's a good question. I think that um, I've done it with meatballs that have been misshapen enough to be confused for burgers. Doesn't count. It doesn't count. It does. It does because if you if you if you stood on a meatball, it would be a burger. It it, it it's just slider. If there was, a slide. If there was yeah, a slider maybe. If the if the Earth's gravity had a Stronger pull than all meatballs. <laughs> eat all meatballs would be burgers. Yeah, that's a different. That's a different conversation. Uh, you know, listen. I agree with you. All I'm saying is, no one's ever done it before. People have got I there's mean, a mental block for people. They see a burger, it goes in a bun. You don't. You don't put. Um, you put condiments on it. Yes, you don't put sauces on it. You you've got you've got you you've got a mental block. I I I can say with a hundred percent true to my soul honesty that I have put tomato a, a bolognese ketchup. sauce on, on a burger. No, not ketchup. Not not talking condiments. <laughs> I've, I've I've put a tomato base sauce on a burger, and yeah, without a bun, I've done that. That is my fact, yeah. I mean, you, you never you've never told you've never told me about it. It's all interested in my dinner. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I got some chunks of cheddar, just <laughs> lopped off some large chunks of cheddar, folded them in um, flour, <laughs> dipped them in egg. Oh, put them into breadcrumbs, back into the egg, back into the breadcrumbs, and then I fried them. And I wasn't really sure whether it'd work or not. Shallow fry. Yeah, kind deep. of somewhere between not deep, not a deep fry, but like um, you know, medium depth fry, like mm-hmm. a half a centimeter, half a half, centimeter yeah. of oil in there. Five mil, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it worked really well. What really oil? Well. So you need like bite into the breadcrumbs, and then the, the the cheese just kind of melts out, and it was delicious. What shape was the cheese? Kind of um, a Jenga, Jenga shape. Uh, <laughs> bat- baton. Baton. Yeah. You could say you could call it a baton. You mean an individual Jenga piece, not not <laughs> yeah, the finish, yeah. not when it the finished tower when it's yeah. all wonky. 
Yeah, although if I, was, if I was serving it in a restaurant, I'd probably construct that kind of Jenga tower up, at least on a yeah. scale. What oil did you fry it in? Uh, just normal oil, like vegetable oil, vegetable or sunflower oil or one of those. Ripseed. Not... Might be yeah. ripseed, I don't know. One of the... Um... Not, not olive oil. No, okay. it doesn't um, get hot enough. Doesn't get it crispy enough. Oh, does, is that is that a fact? I didn't I didn't know that. Ah. Yeah, if you heat olive oil up too too hot, it doesn't taste very nice. It kind of goes, it sort of changes. It's um, I don't know, something changes and it kind of doesn't taste very nice. You get like crisp fry. You need the um, vegetable oil. That's reminded me that you can't melt a flake. You can't really? melt it. You can't melt a Cadbury's flake. No. Why is that? What do you, what do you mean? I just. I won't go into it, but you just have to believe me. And if you don't believe me, Google it after the podcast. Okay. You can't melt a Cadbury's flake. So in 2007, uh, myself and Ed um, went through several phases. Could you call them phases, Ed? Um, I thought you were going to say like countries. You were going to talk about our travels, but phases, I'm not really sure what you're referring to. So we started the year living in um, Greek Street above the above the Windsor pub. Okay. And then we went on T seven, the famous interrailing trip, hmm. and all of our lives changed for good. Mm-hmm. For, for for you know for forever, not necessarily for good. Ah. Uh, but but it was good um and then we moved back into oh, hang on i'm getting this wrong we were in Pe- pam banky's dentist dentist again house. again I, again yeah yeah so this you was get... the second the first half of the year we were in pam banky's dentist house t7 over the summer one mm-hmm. one month over the summer we're, the, we're in europe for a good time not a long time yeah uh, and then the plan was that I would move in with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, you would move in with Ed. You would move in with Ash, maybe. Uh, possibly, yeah. I'm 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 struggling to get the <clears throat> remember the details. You after yeah, it would have been that yeah because you, after we got back, you moved into Ince Ince Avenue, didn't you? Correct. With, with Jack. Correct. And Kev, and I moved in with. Johnny Hines and um, and Ashley Warrington, which I guess was the plan or plan from the beginning, that side of it. I presume, but, but I can't not, remember. But not for me because the plan for me was to move in with Sadie. Jack Sadie was going to move in with Tom. Yeah. During the course of T seven, myself and Sadie parted ways. Tom and Jack. Parted More on ways. that. More on that, please. Um, so I went away t- on a interrailing trip without uh, Sadie. Yeah. Reading to that what you will. Um, I think uh, I went more than a week without being in contact with her. Rang her in a um, phone box in Budapest. It was the it was the time of phone boxes. It was the time of Budapest. Um, and in that phone call, uh, Sadie ended it with me. What did she say? Um, I'd rather not. I'd rather not go into what she said. 
can't, I can't really remember. I can't really remember what she said. Um, <laughs> but I, I was very, I was very upset. I had, I had a bottle of absinthe. You remember they said? Remember the, my, my bottle of absinthe. Uh, we'd been in the city of Prague, beautiful city, beautiful city. Before that, wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so, so you, you didn't want, you didn't want to end it, and it was a shock. Well, I think on one level, I did want to end it, but on a, but I, but no, not not really. Subconsciously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you'd already been given signals. You didn't go into railing together. You hadn't phoned her for a week, but she, she was up front and 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 ended she took it. The, she took the ball. She took the ball by the horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was I was very upset uh, at the time, and um, we went to Lake Balaton. I drank a lot of absinthe, um, and uh, I was um, having uh, hallucinations. <laughs> did you did did you did you light it before t- doing shots? I think that's I think that's sambuca. No, no, I've I've done it with absinthe. I, I burnt burnt my eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, no, because that if you ever watched the the uh, series uh, Booze Britain, you'd know that um, that actually de- decreases the uh, alcohol content. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I mean, doesn't it just decrease the mass of the the whole thing? Doesn't it just de- decrease the amount? It be- it burns know? away the. Uh... Well, Ed, you're a scientist. Ah. Right, it burns away the alcohol, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like if you put brandy on your um, Christmas pudding and you set it on fire, don't you? Yeah, you need to put um, vegetable oil in it. (laughs) (laughs) That could that can burn at high temperature without without going off. Tinctures. Um, Tinctures. I don't remember that. I don't remember the uh, that incident, Sal. What my breakup, the big breakup. No, I remember you. I remember you breaking. Up, I remember you breaking up with Sadie, but I don't remember the um, the absinthe um, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so that was uh, <laughs> so T seven um, week one, plain sailing. Week two, we hit Vienna. Um, Jack and Tom, paranoia setting in. Jack and Tom turn on each other. You're always you're always um, taking the Mickey out of me. You're always taking the Mickey out of me. You're taking the Mickey out of me more. Big row in Vienna. we have been led around Vienna <laughs> by the editor of the um, Viennese Big Issue. Um, I'm like, sorry about this, Francois. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, Francois carries on regardless. He doesn't care. We get a taxi back to our campsite. The song "Nothing Compares to You" by Sinead O'Connor is on the radio. Oh. Is on the is on the radio. Peter Deadly Guy. silence. The next day, one person comes in. Ed Beamer. One person leaves. Yeah. Tom Goodwin goes home. Week one three. Budapest. Phone box. Breakup. You do the maths, math, math, maths. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not Yanks. And that's the story of uh, of T seven 
But where where, where, where was Ed? Where was Ed in all this? So one in, one out. Ed Ed was the person who came in. Tom so I turned up to Vienna, and I the, all I saw of Tom was, um, I think that when I arrived, um, I like shook his hand through. The, he stuck his hand out of the tent and shook his hand, but he was like sort of sleeping or something. Then in the um, in the morning he was gone. So I, know, I saw his arm, but not um, not his face. How do you know it was him? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. That is a good question. I just assumed. I never questioned it. Yeah. It might not have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very we, well don't question, been. we don't question these things. We should. Um, and a, just a, a little side note as well. We went to uh, Auschwitz and um, Manchester United goalkeeper. Uh, Peter Schmeichel was there. Really? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Well, you know, you're trying to get into the into the poignancy the, of Auschwitz, and then the you spirit. see you're trying to get into see, the spirit spirit of it. And then you see, you know, the the arguably the greatest Premier League goalkeeper of all time, and it all goes out the window. Really, were you, were you there, Ed? I, no, I wasn't there. That was when you were in Krakow, wasn't it? And then you went to Prague. And then I joined in Vienna, so I didn't join until a week after that. Did you get his autograph? No, it wasn't the time or the place. Did you speak to him, tell you how much you admired him and stuff? No, I I mean, I didn't really. I I, I really hated Manchester United in the 90s, and I was probably still getting over that in 2007. Was he a nice guy? Was he happy in that? It was was suitably um, forlorn. Because of the setting, yeah, yeah, you could have put on a bit of a show for the fans, being a bit more friendly. Well, no, I, th- I think he, de- I think he, you know, it was he did it, he did it the right way, really. Took the right turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and Jack left, uh, and when I got back to England, I um, looked at my bank balance. There was zero zero pounds in my bank uh, and didn't realise until I got back Ed Ed Beamer stayed on went to where did you go Ed? Well we we all went to Croatia didn't we so we're in a, we were in split for a while and then that's where you and Jack left and then me and Ash went down to Dubrovnik and then up to through Bosnia and then Slovenia and then Venice flew back about a week later I think we, was, mm-hmm. we stayed on about a week after you Any any highlights? Um, highlights. I saw a snake. Well, back in Lake Balaton, we saw that snake. Do you remember the snake? Yeah, we were cooking um, portobello mushrooms at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the barbecue, you know, at the mm-hmm. lakeside barbecue. Yeah. And what was it? A big snake, small snake? What? Medium. Well, everything's relative, isn't it? <laughs> But, um, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to been in the water when it uh, slithered past. I mean, my my big memory from that stage of the holiday was um, that I totally fucked up my back, and um, I remember being in the tent in by Lake Balaton, and I couldn't get out of the tent because my back was so fucked up. I couldn't roll over and crawl out of the tent, and it was like in the morning the sun baking down on the tent was like. It's, really intense I was like sweating like a pig trying to get out of the tent just um and um you and ash doing the um 
Step Two and Son soundtrack. <laughs> so I was like struggling with my back. And you just, um, it was like absolutely zero sympathy from anyone about my um, my plight. Yeah, that was pretty bad because you were c- carrying around a big rucksack as well. And we went yeah. to the steam, we went to the spa, spas of Budapest, didn't we? And you were struggling with the steam, weren't you? Would you say it was the the backpack that caused the um the bad the bad the back problem or something else? Um I think it was a under underlying issue that was exacerbated by a carrying a backpack around. Is it have you still got that issue today? I do, yeah. What, I do. What can I ask can I ask what it is? Because I, I have back problems. I've got, um, I get uh, sciatica, but it, it sort of comes and goes. It's always like lurking in the background. And then like a couple of years ago, I had about four weeks or something that I was laid up in bed with drugs and stuff. So I just, I couldn't like... Flipping out. Get out of the, I couldn't kind of move, get out of bed and like go to the toilet and stuff. It was really like, uh, not very, not very nice. What, what, part, is, what part of the back? Like lower, lower, lower back on the left side. I've got some... Um, like uh, what do you call it? Like um, where the spine's kind of like rubbed away. Is it is sciatica to do with the nerves? Yeah, your sciatic nerve getting like trapped, or so it's just that nerve that goes from your back down down your leg. Not not and very pleasant. Is it just a thing that's going to come back every few years? Uh, yeah, I think it's probably just there, and you have to do stuff to kind of. Look after it, exercise and stuff. Oh, so exercise can yeah. help, can help that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like certain movements. I think, yeah, just doing any exercise, I think, helps. But then also, if you do kind of yoga or Pilates and stuff, or things that like target it to make it stronger, it's also good. But I basically yeah. don't. I basically don't do that because I just can't make you the have, time. You have. A, you have. Two children, two kids. Yeah, yeah. David, yeah, um, cool. David Mitchell, the actor, the comedy actor, um, walks for one hour a day to help his back problems every day. I reckon I probably walk for an hour a day. I would say, yeah. I do do that. That's good. That's good. David Sedaris walks about twenty-five miles a day every day. <laughs> that's, um, that's 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 no joke. That, that's that yeah, honestly. Yeah, Martin, it's part of his obsessive compulsive dis- disorder. Martin Lewis does um, twenty thousand steps every day. Money, sa- money saving expert. Yeah. How many? So I think it's twenty thousand steps. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's not that much. Yeah, it is. You're supposed to do. You're supposed to do ten thousand, and it's quite difficult to get up to ten thousand. He does twenty thousand without fail every day. It's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But highlights highlights from that trip, I would say one highlight was the train ride from Budapest to um, Croatia. Which do you remember, Sam? That with the um, <clears throat> the train stopped somewhere and we got turned back. So the train split, the train two split, split, and we went back to whence we came. And then we had to do the same thing the next day. So we were mm-hmm. like, traveling for ages and ages, and then. But then when we actually went there, there was a big big um, lightning storm kind of following the train down. And we'd been like awake for hours. And it was, you know, when you kind of, um, you haven't slept and you're kind of, um, you're, 
the way you're experiencing the world starts to get a bit weird and kind of like you're on psychedelics or something and then there's mm -hmm. this big lightning storm and it was really um amazing it lasted for an hour or two i think because i think we were kind of following it down the down the country and i was probably was still suffering from my um hallucinations anyway wasn't i from my um from the heat from the absinthe from the absinthe trip yeah yeah uh chris seems to have retreated into a world of steps and um martin lewis can you tell i'm googling stuff yeah well i can hear <laughs> it and you can see it on your face yeah um well yeah twenty thousand steps is uh 15 miles so he's he's not he's not doing as many miles a day as David David Sedaris. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, both hats off to both of them though, because they're both that's decent effort yeah. for both of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. And I would and I would say David Sedaris is more well wealthy than Martin Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does that? What does that say? What does that say? Um, yeah. that says to me that. Even though David Sedaris is spending more time walking and not writing, but he's still making more money than Martin Lewis. But money's not money's not everything, is it? Martin Lewis is a campaigner. Ma is he? Is yeah, he a campaigner? Yeah. Financial, financial advice on this morning, the TV program. Yeah, campaigner. Yeah. He yeah, he does campaign. Does he? Does he campaign? It's only recently he's got into that, isn't it? He was he was more um, just sort of telling you how to cut little corners and consumer um, advice. Yeah, but then the cost of living crisis sort of um, radicalised him. I think mm -hmm. now he's a big campaigner. <laughs> for, um, are you guys? Are you guys members of the Energy Club? Uh, MoneySavingExpert dot com. What's, no, what's that? No, what's that? It's just a club. Just a club. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're in the club, club, you know about it. Um, it just uh, it just makes sure it, it just makes sure at all times that you're on the right tariff, and it'll inform you if um, if there's a better option available. I um, I heard... for members, just for members. Yeah. A guy came around and told me that um, if you get this battery, that you can sort of get energy any time that you want, and you can store it, and then you can use it whenever you want. And he said that um, some of the energy companies like pay you to take electricity. Yeah, true. If you battery, take it, like, like solar, like so the solar uh, situation. Yeah, they buy it back. No, not that they buy it back, but like if it's at sort of three a.m. or something, and they've got too much energy in the wires they got to get rid of it somehow and then they'll like the you can use it you can just put the put your battery on or like put the vacuum on or whatever and then um, you're using electricity and you don't have to pay anything to them they're paying you to like use the electricity because they're like we've got too uh, much yeah i've heard, right. about, this. Get rid I've of heard it. about this uh i never want to do the hoovering at 3 a.m <laughs> no, but if you have a battery you don't have to you, you just you can get the electricity then and then you can vacuum it how how how, heart's content. how do you get informed how much notice do you get from the electricity company that at this time of night will give you the electricity 
Good question. I don't know. I think you can get some sort of smart thing that can kind of like suck out electricity when optimally. I don't know. It's, it's interesting stuff. We should get Martin Lewis on. So, Chris, tell us about your uh, 2007. Well, um, I've been checking my emails from that year, and I, I, I think I've opened. It's a real head wrecker, actually. This new method I've got because just looking at in detail of all the stuff I got up to, I don't really know where to start. But um, I'll say this: I returned from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And then I was home for a couple of weeks, and then I got an email from uh, a newspaper in Hong Kong called the South China Morning Post, and I'd been accepted on their summer in- summer internship. Amazing. Yeah. So so I I went back, and um, I can't say I was the most ethical journalist going. <laughs> You went rig- rigorous. Um, I, I'm not not. I'm not talking about what I wrote. I, I fact check. I fact checked it up to a point. Okay. And, and obviously, obviously, I didn't lie. But in terms of my uh, extracurricular activities, I kind of um, used used it to get into clubs. That had guest lists and stuff. And yeah, but that was a lot, a lot of parties. But that was to get a scoop, right? Yeah, just like I, I just, I just learned the the Cantonese name for South China Morning Post. I think it's Lamwa Jobo, and like I would just shout that to get into clubs <laughs> <laughs> and show my ID. And was that a hot ticket? It not well. It's not a hot ticket to work at a newspaper, but they. I was using my white privilege combined with working for a a, a white privilege new an English speaking newspaper in Hong Kong, and just using it to yeah. And basically, because I knew my time there was limited, I did the summer internship for two months. I I just decided to go out all guns blazing from Hong Kong because uh, I knew that I probably wouldn't stay after the internship. So I moved to a part of Hong Kong. I, I moved in with Beaumont, a good friend of mine from a village called Yarm near Mid- Middlesbrough. And uh, his name's Andy Beaumont. And um, I think me and him kind of, um, we're very good friends, but we kind of egg each other on quite a lot. And um we would go out a lot um, and drink a lot and get into scrapes. And um, one time we got back at 6am to his flat. He had, he had to leave for school in about, he he was a school teacher, primary teacher. um, And he had to go to school in about an hour and he was absolutely plastered. And then we went to, 
a place called Temple Street in order to try and get his leg put in a cast because he was terrified he was going to lose his job and he couldn't think of any other any other excuse he'd used up all his excuses um and we we ended up in a doctor's um office drunk and um and uh he 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 basically feigned stomach cramps uh, but then it turns out we were actually in a a gynecologist's um <laughs> practice anyway she felt his stomach and she was like oh yeah yeah it does feel i can feel something it does feel bad it's very tender and she gave him a sick note and then other scrapes with him we we got back to his flat one night and the key broke in the lock we had to get locksmith out uh, again late for work and then i think that and then it came to a bit of a came to a bit of a head whereby someone actually opened up and <laughs> opened up a nightclub in his block of flats because he, he lived in a dodgy part of Hong Kong and then suddenly on the on the fifth floor there was this like kind of illegal nightclub and we went down there one night and there was a lot of open drug selling uh, which I didn't partake in we were just drinking and then um the, all all the lights came on and dozens of police filed in to this club and um we were made to stand up for about 3 hours with the lights on the entire club no one could uh talk i i, I say this like hong kong police are not the same as uh english police it was very like harsh harsh mm -hmm. and like this club was basically run by gangsters and uh, triads, and and yeah, we weren't allowed to go to the toilet, and there were like it was it was like deadly silent, and then it would be punctuated by like some unruly gangster shouting something, and like some policeman like marching up to him and getting in getting in his face and stuff. Uh, really like. And this was like ticking all the boxes in my head of like, I'm in a Hong Kong triad film. So I was kind of loving it. <laughs> and then we were all made to line up and um, <laughs> um, we were all made to line up and they, they, they brought out this table and a chair and the, this really old policeman in, in regular clothes sat at this table and brought out a ledger and we all had to queue for I heard a beeping sound. Did you hear a beeping sound? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we had to queue and approach the table and give our Hong Kong ID, and he would he wrote down everyone's ID number in this ledger. It was like the naughty book, and um, me and Beaumont were the. Oh no, I wasn't with Beaumont. I was I was with Roy, who was Beaumont's Chinese flatmate, and uh, we 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 the um, the old policeman said what to me like what are you doing here as in you're a white honky you, you're a honky <laughs> a white person and this is like clearly a, a, a illegal disco where everyone takes ketamine and um and i just said 
Lam Lam Joe Bolt, which is a South China Morning Post. Um and he just looked at me and I, I like I don't know what I was trying to say. Like whether it was um whether I was doing a Well it could be invest yeah, investigating Well, yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe he would think I'm investigating, let me off the hook of that. But he just looked like I was a complete Im- imbecile and he told me to leave and I left. Uh, um and and yeah, that was my experience of that. Um, so I, I, I kind of, and then this is also the time that our friend Ming, he was, he was working in fashion and he would get us into like runway shows and stuff. So we'd go to like Gucci shows and stuff and, you know, mix with really glamorous people just getting yeah. really drunk, drunk and stuff. Were you glamorous? No, I, I had really bad pretty much the same fashion sense I've got now but worse and I thought I was Hunter S. Thompson um, but I was just a white privileged young person and I, and I would fall asleep at the at the desk every day I would have to write these fluff what do you call them fluff pieces mm-hmm. I'd have to write these fluff pieces and um you know, like being a journalist was pretty much one of my life's, life's ambitions since I was a teenager, probably. Like, it's like being a writer, but not forcing yourself to be creative. It's like getting paid to write, but not quite, you don't have to put so much legwork in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, journalist, great. But when I, but then every day I was just, I, I sat, my desk was, I was next to a really old, conscientious, Chinese woman journalist who I think she was tutting all the time because I just kept falling falling asleep at the, the desk and I was always hungover and um, and I got a few articles a few things published um, one of them the, the only ones I, like I, I had to do like they would like say okay do do a hundred words on this pair of cufflinks and that would go in the <laughs> That would go in the the fashion section on the in the Sunday magazine, and um, so yeah, my colleagues were working on like the news, the daily news stories, and going around the city and stuff. And I was like told to write these little bits about fashion, which I knew nothing about, or I'd get sent to a new cafe that was open and to review the, it the, to, to to not to review it because I couldn't go in like Michael Winner and rip the place to shreds. It was just puff pieces where I would just, just promote these new cafes. Mm-hmm. And then like, I remember a couple of cafe owners just look at me like, who is this disheveled, unfashionable freak? And why have I got to serve him all my best food? And I would just sit there eating all these delicious meals and then go and write a hundred words about it. And the only two articles of note were, they had this section called FYI, where you wrote about something odd and I wrote about one of them was method acting and how people take that to extremes. And another piece was unusual rock star deaths. Uh, yeah. uh, so what do you have there? Michael Hutchins. Yeah. He's on there. Uh, some guy who varnished his floors with some sort of tetra chloride um, varnish and without ventilation and died. But you can't remember who that is. Uh, he he wrote some like rock and roll, fifties, sixties, or Chuck Berry type tune. 
mm-hmm. uh, but, but not Chuck Berry. Martin Gay, shot by his own dad. Marvin, uh, Ma- uh, Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah, his dad, <laughs> Marvin Gaye. And uh, lead singer of Chicago, who was playing with a, a gun, and someone said, be careful with that. And he said, don't worry, it's not loaded. Held it up to his temple to show them. And it was loaded. Whoa. That was at a party. He blew his brains out. Um, yeah, stuff like this. But it was a funny year. And then I went back to England and it was my brother's stag do. My brother was getting married, so I, I organised, I organised the stag do for him. Um, and then I moved to London, and I got a job with temp agencies, doing waitering, or as you would say, Sam, waiting on. And um, and is that not yeah, normal? What? Normal parlance? Yeah, no, it is. It is, and then. And then I started doing stand-up comedy for the first time. Really bad stuff. Um, open mics in London. I also started working for a comedy club called the Ninety Nine Club, and I would be a, I would do flyering and stuff, and some like stage managing, um, uh, and stewarding. And then in my email just now, I found a clip of me on TV, and with Richard Herring in the. I don't know what it is. I'll try and describe it to you. So, you could sh- could you share your screen? It's I can't repeat it. I'll I'll describe what happens. We can show uh, maybe clips of it on the Instagram or screenshots. Mm. But basically, I've emailed Beaumont from England, and the subject is I'm on telly, and I've downloaded a two megabyte file from this email, and. It's a WMV file. You remember, you remember them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've opened that. This is like 20 minutes ago I've found this. Opened it. It's a clip of a stand-up comedian in a pub, which I'm guessing is um, the pub we used to go work at in Leicester Square. And he's like, I don't know who it is. I don't recognize him. And he's doing a bit about, he's using the word, spastic and he's saying this word over and over again and he said but now i call them scopes and stuff so that's you know that's obviously a really cliched like a ricky ricky gervais did that joke didn't he maybe that's it It it's a really cliched joke that was going around at that time and then there's a and it's showing shots of people in the audience and then there's me like kind of half breaking a smile at his joke and then there's and then it cuts to Richard Herring, who's in the audience, kind of like smiling at someone next to him. Wow. And I don't know what it's from. And you have no recollection of that? No recollection of it. Um, I, I, I see it, Seeing myself in that clip, I recognise, I remember the hoodie I'm wearing and stuff. Um, someone gave it to me in Hong Kong, um, and, and I remember that pub. And I remember, I remember attending a few gigs where Richard Herring was doing stuff, but I don't know what this TV program is or, or anything. I wondered if it was um, like, I wondered if it was like a, a DVD extra or something. Um, Ed, on this podcast, we sometimes workshop some uh, stand-up material. 
so I'm just wondering whether this is some sort of time slip where that that com- stand-up comedian could be me um, if I was to go a different way in a sliding doors moment. Do you want me to share my screen and play the clip? Yeah. So were you just performing as Chris Jenkins at this point? Just doing, just doing really bad anecdotes from my life as Chris Jenkins. Awful stuff. Like, yeah, and I died on my ass in front of friends and housemates. It was, it was, it was awful. You got to go through that, though, haven't you? So I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you see my screen? Yep. Yep. So the subject of the email is Jenks on telly. <laughs> so I've referred to myself in the third person there. <laughs> uh, and I've sent it to Andrew. That's Andrew Beaumont. Mm-hmm. On the 29th of October, 2007, 3.21 p.m. So was there no... Um, did you not write anything in the email? No, no I, just, email. I just sent... No, just sent him a thing. Jenks on telly. Uh, it's not... It's, uh, we can't see that. There you go. Did he get any of that? No. What? N- nothing? No. no. How come? Just a white <laughs> screen. Oh, why didn't you say something? I thought you were organising it. I've I, I played it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, let's. Can, uh, can can you can, if I just show you stills from it? Can you see? Can you see the still image? Yeah. So I can yeah. see that. Yeah, it looks like Russell. Yeah. Um, Russell Howard. No, no, the other one. Uh, is he called Russell? No, what's he called? Kane. Um, yes, yes, Russell Kane. Yeah. The the troubadour. What do you mean? No, that, no, that's Miles Kane. Yeah, Miles Kane. Yeah. All right. Well, should I try and put pause it on on me? Oh wow, you look very young. Oh. Yeah. Do, do you recognise the person sat next to you? Yeah, that's Charlie Partridge. He's kind of a Cambridge graduate, kind of a footlights kind of guy who. Is an alternative comedian. Maybe. Uh, what now? Uh, yeah, he uh, he's more like behind the scenes promoter, organising stuff. Um, yeah. And there's Herring. Oh yeah. <laughs> smiling at another audience member. I don't know what this is. You 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 think it's you mentioned Ricky Gervais? Uh, well, he used to do a jo- uh, joke about scope. Uh, yeah, um, there we go. I was doing stand up, and then I started working at the Dorchester Hotel. I'll go into that next week, and I started doing film production. I started being a runner on stuff. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ed, have you got any um, more comments about the year two thousand, the year of our Lord two thousand and seven? I'm just trying to think what because the the big big thing with 2007 is that trip because we um refer to it with um the year in it but usually years tend to like just fade into each other for me i don't have i don't remember what year things happen in but i guess 
when we came back from that trip, then I moved in with Ash and John. So I can't Just remember what... Um, a quick picture of uh, Johnny Hines, very quickly. So he um, lived with him with Ash and um, nice guy, good guy, but he was like difficult to difficult to like get close to sometimes. Like um, he, uh, I think everyone's people were a bit scared of him in some way. Would you say he was a um, hard man to know and even harder man to forget? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen him for uh, 15 years or something, I guess. So. What was, was his... Uh, yeah, probably the same. What was his like musical repertoire? Um, Ocean's Colour Scene. Ocean Colour Scene. Um, Highway to Hell. Yeah. New York. How would he, how would he perform Highway to Hell? Uh, whistling through his teeth. Yeah. So it was like a, like a semi, semi-whistle, wasn't it? <laughs> Ah, we the hell. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. Um, <laughs> do you remember when he lost his temper at the um, estate agent? Um, <laughs> uh, I remember. <coughs> I remember him apologising for um, for losing it after very mildly kind of um, questioning something, or and he was like, "I'm sorry, guys, just lost it in there. Like, uh, just just lost my temper. I'm sorry about that. Won't happen." So that was uh, Brampton Drive, wasn't it? That was later on. Could have been, yeah. Could have been. Brampton Drive is where the... Uh... Oh, no, maybe... So what was this house called? Which, what, what street this was, was this house? Uh, Albert, Albert Edward Road. Albert, Albert Edward, Edward Road. Road, I think. Yeah. Um, this is where the Al Pacino picture originated, maybe? Is that where we get now? It must have come from... Well, I don't know. It was in a bin bag, wasn't it? It just I, think maybe, yeah. I think it was when we moved into um, Jubilee Drive. It just appeared there. So you know my mug shot of Al Pacino, Chris? No. There's a, I've got a mug shot of Al Pacino that I've had in every house that I've lived in since. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You had it in... Um, what did we, you had it in White Rose House, but you, but I, I, I never used to clock that it was Al Pacino. No, one, think it looked, no, one, no one ever does. No one right. does. Yeah. So yeah, no one so knows where this came from. It emerged in um, when we we moved, packed everything to move house, unpacked mm. at the end, and it was in our in our stuff when we unpacked. Right. But no one remembers sort of packing it into anything, or it, it had seen it before. It would as we unpacked, it was there in our stuff. How do you think it got there? It's a massive mystery. Massive mystery. Yeah. Don't know. One of those massive mysteries. You think mysteries. it was? Um, it was a, a gift from John Pambanki. <laughs> yeah, John Pambanki only knew about two actors, didn't he? <laughs> uh, no, I like the other actor. Uh, the famous the... actor. <laughs> the one who plays Compo. <laughs> I can't remember uh, who he was talking about. I feel like he was talking about Bradley Cooper, but I don't know if I've just got that in my head. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. Was just a massive mystery. Maybe someone put it in our packing. Maybe someone walked past and we had like bags out on the street, and they just happened to have a mug shot taken from a newspaper or something like that of Al Pacino framed, and they just thought, "I'm going to stick that in the packing just to freak them out when they get the other end." They won't know. Where I it's um, 
uh, as like an icebreaker, I had to take uh, an item that meant a lot to me uh, in my most recent job. And I brought the picture of uh, Al Pacino. So, Jake, do you have to give any explanation? I just think you're a massive. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, gave, I, I just gave the full explanation. Oh, that's good. I think we need to wrap this up. Uh, Ed, mm. th- thank you very much for uh, taking the time to be with us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. What, what would you guys give the film out of 10? Very briefly. Uh, if it was in the video hound, I'd give it um, two, two and a half bones. Um, I've chosen a film. Brilliant. Shoot. Uh, this film is called Revenge. Revenge. Correct. Directed by Gotts Spielmann, Austria. Ooh. In a ragged section of Vienna... A hardened ex-con, Alex, works in a brothel where he falls for Ukrainian sex worker Tamara. Their desperate plans for escape unexpectedly unexpectedly intersect with the lives of a rural cop and his seemingly content wife, leading to acts of vengeance and redemption. 8.2 out of 10. Maybe Tamara. I'll find my way back home. Good. Is that is that going to be the phrase to um, to, to for this podcast? Or have you thought of something else? I was thinking of um, I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> I think go with that and save your tomorrow one for next week. Okay, yeah, mm. brilliant. What what's the setup again? Um, who are you, and how did you get in here? I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith. Great. Okay, good good night, folks. Oh, good night. Th- thanks, Ed. Thanks very much for having me on. <laughs>